Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. They were at, do, doing this, a lot of similar stuff in the first half. We were, we were just executing at a higher level, um, and they stayed with it. Uh, they fought. I mean, that's, that's a good football team, but it takes a lot of, uh, of fight to stay in a game whenever you're down like that. Um, but, I, I mean, I got to be better. I mean, when you're up 21-3 to three at one point in the game, you can't lose it. And I, I mean, I put that on myself. And finally, uh, for the last time of this season, we are back showing PK on the Chiefs. That is uh, Brandon Kiley. That is Steve Serta. And I am uh, I am show here. And listen, I don't, I don't have any pleasantries right now at all. Uh, although I do look amazing right now. And obviously this is through a podcast and no one can see that. But just trust me on it. Um, what the hell happened after the two-minute warning in the first half in the damn game Sunday? What in the hell happened? The Chiefs lost and was outscored 24-3 to when the two-minute warning hit in the first half until the game ended in overtime in which the Chiefs won the toss. They were outscored 24-3. to And I will also say this, I put none of this on the defense. And I understand what that means being that it was 24 to three. I don't put this on the defense almost at all, at all. And they were outscored 24 to three. What in the hell happened in the game? I didn't, I didn't even know this was possible for them, to, for this to happen to them. I think that's what's so puzzling about all of this for all of us is I didn't think it was possible for Patrick Mahomes to fail because that's what we saw on Sunday, Ron. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid failed in a big spot at home in the playoffs for the first time in the Patrick Mahomes era. We saw them completely fail when it mattered the most in a second half of a playoff game. We've seen Mahomes struggle before in the first half of the Patriots game, AFC Championship game. What was that, 2018? He, he put up a goose egg in the first half. He followed that up by one of the greatest halves of football we've ever seen from Patrick Mahomes to give them an opportunity to potentially go to the Super Bowl. And this one, it was the opposite. We followed up what might have been the best half of football that we've seen in Mahomes' career. Honestly, I really do believe that in the first half against the Bengals. Oh, he with- was special with what might have been the worst half of Patrick Mahomes' career in the second half of that game. And this is not just my opinion. If you look at QBR, which is a totally flawed metric, but it's something that's easy to digest because it's on a scale of 0 to 100, 50 being average run. His first half QBR on Sunday was 98. And the second half his QBR and overtime was 1.4. Again, it's on a scale of 0 to 100, nearly perfect in the first half of this year, uh, of that game nearly 
like you could have thrown the ball into the ground on every play and you would have been every bit as good in the second half. I, I don't know how it happened, but he completely lost all confidence. All confidence that we saw from Mahomes in the first half was gone after that two minute drill that you referenced. And, and let's be, and to go to the, to the stats that I have memorized 55 yards, no touchdowns and two interceptions in the second half in overtime, 55 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions in the second half in overtime. That is, it's, it's ridiculous. And I, and I think we should just pull over the car right now. And by the way, Ron, just to add to what you just said there, it's even worse somehow. It's zero net yards. So if you include the sacks on the dropbacks that he had, it's zero net yards passing the ball whenever they would drop back until the final drive of that regulation. Like he he literally did not. The Chiefs offense, when they dropped back, on average gained zero yards in the second half until their final drive. I I can't can't explain that. You have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and – an offensive line that legitimately might be one of the five best in the league and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and you get zero net yards for 25 minutes. Yeah. That that final drive, they weren't doing anything. And this, and this was not a great defense that they were doing it against at all. Uh, And it shouldn't have been that confusing, but I I think let's pull over the car to the side of the road and discuss what many people. And I, and I would agree potentially the play that changed the game. Uh, and many people think this. I think there's another play that might rival it, but this is a play that many people change the game. It's 21 to 10, and you're thinking, all right, the way they've got this set up, they've got over a minute left. They're, they get the ball at the half. If they can string together two scores in some form or fashion here, like they're going to put themselves in a position where it's going to be tough to get them, right? And at this point, you're not thinking that, uh, the Bengals are even able to stop them because they have not come close to stopping them. And then what do you know? The Bengals score a touchdown, make it 21-10, and they drive that bad boy right down the field. And they're they basically, at this point, second and goal from the one with five seconds left. At this point, I'm looking at this, and I don't know about you, I'm thinking they should probably kick it. Just kick it right now. Six seconds is to me where I would think I feel better about, you know, getting a playoff because a ball can get tipped and it's really not supposed to, the clock is supposed to stop until it hits the ground or something like that. You just, five seconds can roll off quick. But Andy Reid trusted the best player in the game and trusted his guy, and you can understand why he would trust Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes is not only uh, great and physically talented, he is also shown to have a high football IQ and do things that you can trust. And Patrick Mahomes said himself, even though Andy tried to, to lie and take it and say, I probably should have given him a better play out there. Probably should have given him a better play. <laughs> Pat came to the podium and said, yeah, the play was designed for me to go and throw the ball in the middle of the field. But instead I thought I'd get greedy and give Tyreek a chance. He threw the ball to the six to the six-yard line with two guys out there. He looked out there and saw those two guys out there. He never even appeared to me to look into the middle of the field. He looked like he was going in the whole way, and there was no chance in hell. And Eli Apple, who is, who is fairly right now talking a whole bunch of trash 
I mean, he is letting it out. But those are the rules when you get to the Super Bowl and you shut him down in the second half. He makes a great tackle, and now you're sitting here like, hold on, what the hell? The Chiefs could have taken that momentum that they built back, but instead, as I've talked to several ex-players since that game ended, like, hey, going in the locker room thinking that you're about to be down by two score, by 14, and then you get that, get that stop, like, that is huge, even though the Chiefs were coming out with the ball. Like, that, and I don't know any other way to put it, that bonehead decision by Patrick Mahomes, that, that, that him going rogue and just not going for what the play is designed because McKinnon and Travis Kelsey ran routes into the middle of the field where he was supposed to throw it or throw it out of bounds. His arrogance to try to make that play to Tyreek Hill, they, they, it cost him uh, points there. And then I believe it was something that he was trying to make up for for the rest of the game. That mistake and that error he was trying to make up for the rest of the game, and it became the biggest play of the game. So I've got a lot of thoughts on this. Um, let's start out with how they played that drive. I thought they played it perfectly up until yeah. that moment. Up until that moment, you could not have handled the clock a whole lot better than they did. You could not have handled situationally, like everything. It was, it was nearly perfect. You had a minute and five seconds on the clock whenever you got the ball back. And you went right down the field. You were aggressive in the way that you were going about it. You get down to the one-yard line with 10 seconds to go. You throw a quick, incomplete pass. And then you're right back at it, second and goal from the one. And you've got a decision. And you said you would have taken the field goal there. I was really happy when they didn't take the field goal there. Because I trust Patrick Mahomes. And in that moment, the old, there are two things you cannot do. A, you can't throw behind what the sticks would be in this instance, which is the goal line. And B, you can't take a sack. If you don't do those two things, you're fine. Just throw it into the stands. Throw it into the stands. He's got so much velocity, man. That's going to take less than five seconds for Patrick Mahomes. It's one read. Get it out. If it's not there, throw it into the stands. We're getting three here. We're going into halftime up 24-10, and we feel really good about it. You just got a free three points in the last minute of the half. So I liked their decision to go for the points there. I hated the play call. Absolutely hated the play call. You cannot have a situation where your quarterback is even considering throwing anything behind the line of scrimmage in that moment. If you're going to have Mahal or have Tyree Kill as a tag on that play, it's got to be that the play that we've seen them run a million times, where he's running in motion, sprinting across the line of scrimmage, sprinting behind the line of scrimmage, and then goes about two yards up and just streaks right out. Right, right now, right now, got to be now. And if it's there, great. If it's not, you throw it as feet. And it takes two seconds off the, the clock, and you're going, and you're saying, okay, Bucker, go get us three. We'll go into the half. The problem was they ran the play behind the line of scrimmage. Mahomes threw it there for God only knows what reason. And I got to be honest with you guys, Mahomes called a timeout there. I he think thought he had one. Yep. I, I sincerely believe he thought he had a timeout. And I don't know how that was the case. I know there was the confusion with the uh, the challenge earlier in the game, and they called the timeout, and then they challenged. I, I, I don't know if he thought that they didn't call that timeout and they had just challenged there, and maybe he believed, like he, in his heart of hearts, he thought he had one more to go. I don't know what happened. But for whatever reason, he was standing there after Tyreek got tackled down, and he's calling a timeout to the ref. I think he had thought he and he didn't say this publicly and he, he wouldn't it'd be dumb to I think he believed he had a timeout and he wanted to see if his guy could make a play 
he failed. And then he thought he was going to still have a second or two to be able to kick that field goal. And obviously he was wrong in all accounts. And that led to what was the second half, as you mentioned. So he clearly thought he had that timeout. And I I think that that even goes back to Andy Reid's clock management, because like, how is that not communicated? Like, okay, we've got five, six seconds. We've got enough time to do this and this, and that's it you've got to get rid of the football so we can go kick a field goal. I think that goes back to the chiefs over and over again, poor clock management, which has plagued Andy Reid his entire career, but we don't talk about it as much anymore because he's playing with the lead. Most of the time now, Patrick Mahomes is exceptional and incredible. And so we overlook that stuff the way we do with a lot of these things when you win football games. And I don't, I I agree with you, BK. I love the aggressiveness there. Like in the idea of we can put this thing away before halftime. If we score, I liked the idea of going for it. I didn't even hate so much giving it to Tyreek Hill and thinking like, Hey, Tyreek can find a way to get into the end zone. But with that little time left, not having any timeouts, it's gotta be communicated. That's not what you can do here. That's not what can happen here under different circumstances. If there was 12 seconds left on the clock. Okay. If you had that timeout, you thought you had, okay. All of that stuff is totally okay. And then you kick the field goal, but somebody somewhere on this team has to communicate. That can't be what happens on this play. That cannot be the scenario that we find ourselves in. And it's what unfolded because it didn't seem like it was communicated properly. They didn't have it. They're not coming off a timeout there, right? They're not like, so nobody was at the sideline. Like, who do you think should be the one you're thinking is communicating this? Like, who do you think on the field is the one? Pat. Like, I would think the quarterback and Patrick Mahomes. But Andy's in his helmet. Is, yeah. And the before the play, what, yeah, Andy's got to say, hey, we, we've got zero timeouts here. It's got to be in the end zone. The only thing we can do here is it's got to be in the end zone. Get it to get it to um, Travis quick. It, I mean, if Mahomes was able to convince Andy that they should go for it there, Andy uh, should have said in that conversation, okay, I'm going to trust you but this has to be in the end zone because we got no timeouts left. BK, I know Andy has had issues with counting before. I really honestly don't believe Andy Reid didn't remind him. I I, I, I think Andy Reid reminded him. I don't think – I I, I do. I, I, think, I think you're right, and it I just makes Pat it that much it. worse. I think, I, I, I think he lost it. There's with no how bad way. it played out, it would make sense. Like there's it, no, there's no it, way he took it into his own hands and said, "I can do this." Yes, and it just blew up in his face. There is no way. Like first off, you like I listen. I don't even hate the play call. I understand because exactly what you wanted. They took two defenders out of the middle of the field to run with Tyreek because when you run Tyreek in motion, people go crazy. And two guys came away from the middle to go out there. You just don't feel like you got to tell Patrick Mahomes not to throw that out there to the six. Guys, he looked out there. He looked immediately and saw two guys right there and threw it behind it anyway. I mean, I swear before God, like you could make a case of, like, is he throwing this this game? Like, like you could make a case for that move when you're looking at that. Like, what in the hell is he ta- is he thinking? Like, I mean, he no- was so poor after that, Ron. Like that play and then moving forward. That they were actual, like, I, I believe intelligent people that are asking, 
was Patrick Mahomes concussed in that game? Not not like joking about it, like asking in all sincerity. It it was so bad that like was something else wrong there? And I don't believe that to be the case. But it it, it was that kind of bad. He said it in the in the post game. He said the play was designed to go with like this is I can hear Andy like, hey, we got five seconds. You got to get it out. You, I mean, th- there's no way in hell Andy's not saying that. Yep. And I know Andy's had issues counting with with time management. There's no way he's not saying that. No way. He got convinced to do it. Hey, you better get this. But and he threw it and he threw it to the the one place he couldn't. Like it was just. So, like, to me, that was that was the thing to me that continued him to chase. And that that was what many people felt like was the turning point in the game. I, I'm not so sure. I think there was another moment a little bit later that could be argued as the turning point. But as we opened up this show, fellas, and asking how in this how did this happen? What the hell happened? To me, the number one reason. Like the number one reason, and we just kind of talked about it, and we could just really set it down on the table right here. The number one reason this team lost is Patrick Mahomes. Like he is the number – I know they were outscored 24-3 to after the two-minute warning. Patrick Mahomes was the number one reason this team, and I think with a pretty good distance, this team lost this game. Like right now, we got to chill out and 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 for at least a decade, chill out on this Brady talk, this this goat, this him, this Tom about because Tom Brady's not losing a game with an eleven and point lead at home in the AFC Championship game to anybody. He's not losing that game. So See, I think I, we. I'm gonna push back here a little bit. Tom Brady lost to Mark Sanchez twice. Tom Brady lost to Joe Flacco in the playoffs as well. Tom Brady's had some bad playoff moments. We just don't remember them. This could be one of those moments for Mahomes, but I do agree with your sentiment. I just want to push back on that specifically. He's not losing up 11 at the half. He's not up 11 in the AFC Championship game and and just making – he's not going to make the plays to kill him. He'll – like Tom, Tom has the ability to turn himself into a, a, a game manager when he needs to and turn himself into, you know, Tom Brady when he needs to. He's not losing down up 11 with the ball at the half. He's not losing. He's not losing that game. He's not. And and I, I don't know, sir, I'll let you jump in here. I just like to me, I just think we got to chill the Brady talk that like that. That was that was something Tom would never. He's lost to Flacco and Sanchez. But in games, but that right there, that scenario is not happening to Tom. I I do think that some of this is is prisoner of the moment. We're reacting to what just happened and trying to figure out you're the best player in the world. This isn't supposed to happen to you. You're not supposed to be the definitive reason that your team lost at home in an AFC championship game where you looked unstoppable in a first in the first half of the football game, and then in the second half, you looked like you were Baker Mayfield. Like this is not supposed to happen. And some of this, and we may discuss it later. Like some of this is, you know, maybe there is some some personnel decisions and, and things that are that are going to change the makeup of this team as we know it right now. So th- it does feel like it's kind of a conclusion of this particular window of this Chiefs roster. But I- at the end of the day, like 
you just don't see this very often, right? Like if you have this guy who is legitimately the best player in the world and even coming out of this game, nobody's questioning that. Everybody's saying when that guy is playing at his best level, he is the best football player on the planet. And it's not really that close compared to anybody else. He just folded to me, in my opinion, like it just at some point he's, surpassed every expectation to the point where our standards for him are so much higher than everybody else that he had a bad day and we're sitting here trying to explain it. And I think it's as simple as that. He got in his own head and he just had a bad football that's game the, and it cost them a Super Bowl bird. That's the part is he got into his own head as we talked about the play that changed the game. Uh, and I think it's very fair to say that because it changed him. Uh, the play at the end of the, the second half, at the end of the first half, I honestly, it felt it felt like to me that he was chasing, trying to make up for that the rest of the time and trying to make some sort of big play and the taking what the defense was giving him and all that, that went out of the damn window. He wasn't, he wasn't, technique went out of the window. I got to make a play. I got to chase this. I got to make up for it. And we always see that Patrick Mahomes is a guy going around and telling folks it's all right. Somebody needs to walk over there and say, hey, hey, big fella, calm down, man. It's 21 to 10. It's 21 to 13. Hey, we just need to put together a drive. Forget about what happened. You don't need to go and put us on your shoulders. We're good to go. The defense is getting some stuff, like, calm. He needed somebody to come over there and do that to him, even though he is generally the person who does it. He's not. I'm telling you, there are some people out here listening as you're riding right now or you're at your desk or wherever you are that's going to be saying, show you're too hard on him. Like, you can't just put this on him. The defense, nope, don't want to hear anything about the defense. I don't, I don't want to hear it. They forced three field goals in regulation, got a turnover when it was going to hell and set you up near near midfield. They, they forced like four punts in the game. I don't want to hear it. For the way this team is constructed, the defense did what they were needing to do. It the was the offense. Was fine in that game. Yeah, the the, the offense, offense was perfectly was... fine in that game. There were a couple of bad moments, and I, Serta, you mentioned one earlier um, with the Chris Jones not being able to come down with a second, and that's a, a play I'll never forget. But the defense was fine. I did want to quickly just reference I wasn't sure which year it was, but Tom Brady back in 2007 in the AFC Championship game was up 21 to 3 against the Colts. And that was the year, the first time that actually Manning beat Brady in the postseason was that year. The Patriots ended up going on to lose that game 38 to 34. Brady threw one touchdown, threw a pick, and fumbled once in that game. He did not have a very good game. That would be the only equivalent to what we saw on Sunday. That that was Mahomes' 2007 AFC Championship game. And by the way, that was a game that ultimately changed the trajectory of the Patriots franchise. Leading up to that point, they were one version of the Patriots. The next year, that was when the 07 Pats offense became a thing. So uh, kind of setting up our our, our next conversation eventually, I, I do think there's some, some more similarities between that game and what we saw on Sunday. But I, I think Mahomes, to, to both of your points, he just he got inside of his head. He never had enough time to be able to get out of it. I mean, we saw this in the middle of the season this year. It took weeks for him to get out of his funk of trying to figure out what to do against a cover two. And that's one thing that was so interesting to me, Ron. He's going to have to figure this out because what we saw on Sunday against the Bengals, 
similarly to what we saw last year with Brandon Staley and Vic Fangio and those guys showing the two high shells and that becoming a thing this year, I can tell you what they're going to go up against next year. It's going to be a cover three with a robber, which means that the safety is going to come down on that over route that Tyreek Hill loves to run. They're going to drop that defensive end, so you're going to have eight in coverage because that's what we saw the entirety of the second half. That defensive end that drops is exclusively going to be on the Tyreek Hill side, so that defensive end is physical with, uh, or excuse me, on on Travis Kelsey's side. That defensive end is going to chip on Kelsey, and then he's going to drop into coverage, so there's no easy passing lane there. And then they're going to force or at least attempt to force Mahomes to find somebody else. That's what worked in the second half. And at times they would even have a spy on top of all of that. And they would be in the dying defense almost exclusively on third down. Mahomes just didn't know what to do. He's going against zone, so he can't run. He's got eight guys dropping back and they're bracketing Tyreek and Kelsey. So they're forcing them and daring them to throw to somebody else. And Ron, this was similar to what happened to Aaron Rodgers in the playoff game against the 49ers, where the 49ers basically said, you're not throwing to Devontae Adams, throw to somebody else, figure it out. And Rodgers never adjusted. He didn't trust anybody else. And I think a big part of what happened in this game, and this is not to to put it on anybody else, it's on Mahomes. He's got to eat this because he's the best player in the world. He didn't trust him. And once he finally started to go to other guys, you're in the play. You're, you're in the playoffs. You've got Demarcus Robinson as your other option, or Byron Pringle, who's running the wrong route too often in the second half. Like now, you've got McCole Hardman stopping on a go route where they've got a free play, and they just they didn't come up in the big moments enough. So that that's kind of how how does this happen? A million different things have to go wrong, but it all starts with the best player in the world having the worst public moment of his career so far. Yeah, they, they, listen, you know there it, there's some. Uh, some legitimacy legitimacy to what BK was talking about in terms of the defense that the Bengals were running. That was the thing. They dropped back even more and had guys uh, had eight there. But the issue with that is it's still, to me, like him not knowing what to do is not an excuse. There were guys, there were guys open. Like there were, there were guys open that he just missed or didn't see hell. And not just guys, there were times that, that Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey were open. He just made awful decisions pre-snap, and, and 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 it was it was insane. Like you'll drive yourself crazy if you go and watch some of those. Like I know I know Serta probably has. I know BK has. I've sat here and watched some of those. Like like so like to me, the play that really opened the door for them, the Bengals, the the interception he threw that was absolutely oh. egregious. I don't even understand who he was trying to get that through. Oh. But I mean, he 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 literally, if you go watch that, they had identical routes on the same side of the field on one side of the field was Demarcus Robinson and McCole Hardman, the people he doesn't trust on the other side of the field was Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. They all, they both on both sides on each side ran identical routes on one side. The pair got wide open. Both of them beat their guys. The other side, they didn't. Who do you think Pat chose to go to right off the bat? He turned immediately to the Demarcus Robinson McCole Hardman side for some reason. And then with it not being there up 21 to 13, he said, I I can I can get it through somehow, these nine people to Demarcus Robinson. And went there. So the decision to go towards that side of the field to begin with, like is is insane to me. I don't even understand how he could do it. And then the decision to throw it. Like these are these are. Like, there are parts. Like, we can go to overtime. I've got routes in my head memorized. We can go to overtime. 
the 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 throw he tried to end the game to Eli Apple where he threw the slant behind him he's got all the time in the world if he waits behind him if you look behind him Tyreek Hill has has the out and he's wide open to the sideline because Robinson has cleared it out with the slant and it's an easy 15 yard throw right there to Tyreek Hill down he predetermined the read Yep, he came right off the bat for some reason. He said, I'm driving to Marcus Robinson with the game on the line and not and not Tyreek Hill. And Tyreek Hill flies wide open behind him. And he has all the time in the world. He missed crossers. He missed he missed a ton of a ton of routes that were there. Like it was there. Hell, like I said, it's not just not just Pringle or Hardman or the backs. Kelsey was wide open for a touchdown to take the lead in the second half. He dropped back, no, no pressure, no pressure at all. Kelsey comes wide open at the goal line. This is going to take the lead. He's looking in the middle of the field. I don't know how he doesn't pull the trigger. It's And that was the third and goal from the nine-yard line with 40 seconds to go. That was that play before Bucker comes out for that field goal. When yes. Mahomes, by the way, takes a 15-yard sack and, and fumbles, yeah. could have lost the game for you right there. Yeah. He had two different dudes, both Pringle and uh, Kelsey, to your point. At, at two different times, both came wide open in the middle what? of the field, were jumping up and down, trying to get his attention, and he just, for whatever nope. reason, didn't trust it. I think he was spooked by what happened in the first half, Ron. To your point on that one, like I, I think it played a role in what happened on that play as well. Yep. And he was saying to himself, hey, if we end up having to go to overtime here, at least I'm getting the three because in the first half I wasn't even, even able to get that opportunity for the three. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's wild. There, there's things psychologically that we're never going to understand about participating in a live action NFL game. Like we understand that this game could be like a case study of what happens in the NFL from the first half to the second half of being an elite player to totally unraveling in the second half where it's just his entire makeup as a competitor as a quarterback, as an elite playmaker, superstar player in this, in this NFL, like he was questioning everything in the second half. He was questioning is Travis open? Can I make that throw? Should I make that throw? And where it's like, you can make that throw. We know you can make that throw. I don't just even know if he. Like, I don't even know if he was looking at him, Serta. I think he was. He was just misreading and going in, in different in different directions and not even looking, not even giving himself a chance to look. Like I, honestly, I can't. Like like Serta, you watched it. There's no way that if he looked at Travis Kelsey, even if he was nervous, that he didn't just throw that out there. He was wide open. Like there was. It's, I just you know like against the Bills, it's. We talk about players playing unconscious. Like it felt like he was playing unconscious against the Bills. Like it's just, it's reactionary. You just go out there and you're trying to win at all costs. And then in the first half of this game, it felt like he was playing like that. Like that's a guy who just sees things that other people don't. He sees angles and throws that other people aren't capable of making. And then in the second half, he was making bad reads, but it just felt like he was hesitating too much. Yeah. And that hesitation is what eventually cost them look, everything. Look, he was off. He, uh, I mean, he airmailed. I mean, he threw the ball to the top of the first down marker uh, when he was trying to hit uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire on a, a swing route. Just, I mean, completely airmailed him. 
listen, the, the best way that I can explain it, uh, I am a a huge LeBron James fan. He is my favorite athlete of all time. He is my guy. And I will fight and argue to the depths, to the end about LeBron James. LeBron James against the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA Finals, I have nothing for. I can't say anything. I have You're no talking argument. talking about J.J. Barea locked him down? I have no argument. Yes. He just, went, he just went and stood in the corner. He just stood in a corner and didn't do anything. Like, like I mean, he it, it, it was like he became in the latter stages of the series like somebody you'd never seen before. And you're like, what is going on? Like, what? He's just going. He is a guy who loves to dominate the ball and make plays for others. And hell, even if he doesn't want to shoot, even if he's not feeling confident in his shot, he's still going to take the ball and, you know, try to get people. In. He just ran and stood in the, stood in the corner and said, Dwayne, please take it. And so, I like, I can't explain that one. I, I'm, I'm going to try to go to the Golden State series where he led everybody in every single category. I'm going to go to the, the Lakers in the bubble. I'm going to go. That game against Dallas, he should have five rings. I don't know what that was about. I can't explain that. That was what that was. That was Patrick Mahomes' Dallas series. I don't know what that was. I did. I can't put it on the play calling, the, 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 the Bengals. Like, you did a great job of switching some things up, but it wasn't like you switched something up where people – like, I'm, I'm watching people open right off the bat. Like, a, a, and he's and – he's, I mean, he's out here running around, running around backwards and make you think, good God, man, these guys are covering the hell out of these guys for 15 seconds. I just, I can't explain it. And you mentioned the play calling, Ron, and that's something else I, I did want to get into because the RPOs, this has become the thing, right, in the NFL. Everybody's excited about RPOs. Well, Mahomes ain't good at them. Like, we, we just got to admit this right now. He's just, he's just for whatever reason, I, I cannot explain this, Ron, he doesn't seem to read them well. And on Sunday, I'm not kidding when I say, I think three out of every four RPOs, he read it wrong based on at least what the rules are that you would typically expect them to read them upon. And maybe he, it's a predetermined read and that, that's the way that it goes. But the way that you would expect them to read them, Ron, if you would typically, like based on the rules, give it to the running back, he threw it. If you would typically throw it, he gave it to the running back. It was strange. It was as if he was guessing wrong almost every time. It's like if you flipped a coin and 10 different time you, times you guessed heads and all 10 or eight out of 10, maybe it was, it would land on tails. It was strange. I, I can't even explain that part either. So it was from top to bottom, all of it. Cause I know there's a lot of people today that are having the conversation about, Oh, they should have run the ball more. Well, a lot of those plays that, that you wanted to run, it Pat's was because Mahomes was running an RPO and he's making that decision. Like that's not exclusively on Andy Reid. A lot of the Chiefs running game is based on RPOs. And look. you can disagree with that. And I do. I think that they are too good of a running team, too good of an offensive line to, to minimize their running game the way that they do. However, this is the offense. It's the one that they installed with Patrick Mahomes. And so I have a I've understood that. And in the second half, when you wanted them to run more, it wasn't necessarily Andy or Eric Bieniemy that was calling those passing plays that a lot of you hated. In a lot of the situations, it was actually Mahomes that was making that decision. So if you're going to be critical about that part, 
at, let's at least be accurate on who to be critical of in those moments. Yeah, yeah, we heard that a lot, right? I'm glad you go to that point of, you know, the, the Chiefs are averaging six, seven yards a carry and all this and that, and they won't run the ball. This is why I say squarely on Pat. Pat is making, a, as you said, making a lot of those decisions in, in the RPO game. And listen, I'm not mad at it, though. Like, hold on, I, 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 let's calm down. Like, we go into the game and we say, who do we want making the decisions? Who do we who who do we want the ball to be in the hands of? Because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the one to sit here and complain about running after I just said last week when Tyreek Hill ran the ball to the 16 yard line and you had a chance to really put the game away in three straight plays. You took the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands and just handed it off, and then it, it ended up with Blake Bell running some sort of option to the short side of the field. I'm not going to come around back and say in the second half you're going to – no, even if he is struggling. Like, you, the, the thought is he's going to make the right decision. He's going to make the right call, and the RPO is made perfect for the scenario the Chiefs were in the second half. Just move the ball and get first downs. Like, I'm not, we don't need big plays. And the RPO game generally centers into so there's going to be a running lane open. There's going to be a passing lane open. They're like, they're, there's going to be like this option of something where I can get something quick five yards, six yards, either running the ball or a quick pass or whatever. Like, that is made for let's just use the clock, get in field goal range, score points. Like, that is a. Perfect to what you want to do when you're up 21 to 10 in the second half of a game. But Patrick Mahomes, instead of doing an RPO, he pulls it out and tries to throw the ball through nine people to Demarcus Robinson and throws it right to like I don't I don't, I don't like I like that is that, that 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 gets me here. Like all of a sudden you don't yeah, even if they were passing the ball, that's what you do. What are you gonna stop running plays for Magic Johnson? Are you going to stop running plays for, for Shaq? No, Shaq it's can't shoot free throws. Going, oh, oh, my God, DeMarcus, catch his ball. Catch his ball. Hang uh, on. You make a play for the love yeah, of God, DeMarcus. Yeah, like he was like that, like the football had some sort of mutant powers and could just go through people <laughs> or something. Like, he th- like I just like when people are complaining about they should have run the ball more when you're, when you're getting seven. I don't care. I don't give a damn if they're getting nine yards to carry. The playmakers for your team to get to the Super Bowl are Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey. Unless you're going to sit back around and hand off to them, the, the, the way you get the ball to them is throwing it to them. And Patrick Mahomes just decided that in that game, he just couldn't execute a damn thing. Now, I'm not putting that on, on the coaches for putting the ball in their hands. Like I said, we're going to stop. Yeah, you know what? Shaq can't shoot free throws, so instead, man, let's start running these plays for Rick Fox. Or let's let's get it in here to Samaki Walker and get it to him instead of giving it to Shaq because he struggles the free throw line. Hell no, you got here by by using Patrick Mahomes. You got to give him the ball. Samaki Walker was the second choice after uh, Rick Fox, huh? Yep, uh, that was the one we go to there. Yep. I, I, res- yep. I respect that. Um, I should be clear. I am not criticizing them for throwing in the second half. Like I want to make sure that that is totally out there because. I think the people that are doing that, like, God bless you. I respect it. We can all have disagreements in sports. This is the the candy store of entertainment, right? You hear that, BK? Get the ball to to McKinnon. What? I think that is insane. Like, the idea that the Chiefs lost because they put the ball. Like, let's do the say it out loud test, right? Instead of putting the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands, who, by the way, 
I just mentioned, had one of the greatest first halves we've ever seen from him. Instead of putting it in his hands, we wanted to give it to the guy who during the regular season wasn't healthy enough more often than not to shoot up. And then when he was, was more often than not covering kicks and punts in Jarek McKinnon. I like Jarek McKinnon. I think he was really good in the playoffs for this team. He added an element that they needed in the running game and also in the passing game. He served his role well, and he served exactly that role on Sunday that he was supposed to serve. He is not the featured element of the offense, and neither is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who all season long, I feel like Chiefs fans were critical of for not being what they expected him to be. Now, in the biggest moment of their season, in the AFC Championship game against the Bengals, we are saying we felt more comfortable with the Chiefs giving the ball to those two guys, McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, over putting it in Patrick Mahomes' hands to potentially get the ball to Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. I just don't agree with that assessment. I would have done exactly what they did, which is throw more often than not in the second half. Now, it failed. It didn't work. And that's because Patrick Mahomes didn't come through in the biggest possible moment. But if you're telling me that the Chiefs have to go down with the ship somehow... I'm not going down with McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I'm going down with Patrick Mahomes. And they put it in the hands of Mahomes to make the decisions on a mm-hmm. lot of it. Not just dropbacks, but RPOs. You put it in his hands to make the decisions. He was just horrific in decisions and when he had a, like Like, it's one thing if they were dropping back and here was – like, he didn't have anybody to throw. Like, there was no openings. There were, like, it was people open. <laughs> like, go back, go back and drive yourself crazy if you want to, and go watch some of these routes and start pausing them about a second or two uh, after the snap and start saying, oh, man, he could have just hit that right there, move the chains. Like, he could have just hit that right there. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I, it, was, it, was, it was Pat. It was Pat. He's, All right, he, go ahead. He, uh, as I say, he, he's also the guy that, like, you can't prepare for that. <laughs> like, no. like you, you can't prepare for the way that second half unfolded because he's the reason you're in four consecutive AFC champions. And you always think he'll get it back yeah, at some he's point. The, like, he's know. the reason you've won Super Bowls and you went to back-to-back Super Bowls and thought you were going to go to a third straight one. There's no way to prepare for what happened with his decision-making Ever. in the second half of that game. In, in, in any part of the game, there's no way to do it. There's no way to do it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent... You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right. um, Listen, if we move past the game, uh, because we've 
we've crushed Pat enough. If we move past the game. By the way, he's, he's the just, best player in the world, and yeah, I'm thrilled that him. we have the next 15 years of Patrick Mahomes yeah. in Kansas City. He's incredible. He's like, the best no, quarterback on the planet, in the galaxy. He's amazing. He the week before, it. we were talking about how he reclaimed that prize because of the way yeah. that he performed in the final 13 seconds. Like, Patrick Mahomes is still amazing, but he's got to improve. Like, there are things that he's got to work on, and on Sunday, they were all on full display. Yeah, he was just 35 minutes. He looked like Jason Campbell or something. Like, it, it, was, it was just – it was odd to see. But, like, we start to look at some big questions moving forward that, that I want to touch here a little bit. And, like, I, I've heard this a lot. The coaching staff is a place – because now you look at it, we got to have changes. All right, I'll be damned. We're not re- meeting the standard. I've heard this one this week. You go to the you win, you, you go to the Super Bowl – then you lose to the Super Bowl, and then you lose to the AFC Championship game. So you're you're regressing, okay? Um, it, you know, I, I, I guess. But there are some thoughts that changes need to be made in the coaching staff, and I think immediately you look at the coordinators because we know Andy is not the change. Uh, he had already said this week in his press conference that yes, he will be back. But the changes that a lot of people look at are the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. Um, I think for sure you can make a change at D.C. I, I, I do feel like we're looking at Spags, and I think there I think there is another level of improvement, like, and not just obvious, like, like you know, oh, yeah, you can get better. No, I think there's obvious level of improvement. Like, to me, the name that comes to my mind is Vic Vangio. If Vic Vangio is available, I, would, I, I think he is – I don't know about him as a head coach, but I think Vic Vangio is a – potential star as a defensive coordinator and and he has done well at that role and i'm not and there are going to be others out there as well but it feels like to me the steve spagnolia run has rolled out especially when you look at some of the guys on their defense that may not return there is there is one there i'm not sure about the offensive coordinator spot go ahead go ahead bk i i, I know you i know you may have some thoughts on the coaching yeah. situation so Let's start out with why now would be the time. Let's let's start with the defensive side because I think that's kind of the more obvious situation, right? Why now if you're going to make a move? The reason why is because it's it's probable, at least as of today, that you're not going to have Tyron Matthew or Frank Clark or Anthony Hitchens next year. Yep. Travarius Ward is a free agent. Your only linebackers, I believe, that are under contract currently are Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. Defensive line-wise, you've only got like four guys that are currently under contract for next year. Corner, you've got two. Safety, you've got one. This entire defense is about to be remade again. Like completely. From top to bottom, you've got like six or seven different cornerstone pieces, but otherwise it's going to be completely remade. Do you want to do that with Steve Spagnuolo in charge? I think it's a fair question. And the answer might be yes. I can listen to it. Like Steve Spagnuolo this year. I think he did a really good job. By the end of the season, he had that defense playing really well. From week eight until week 17, they were the best defense in the NFL. They allowed the fewest points in the league. So credit where it's due, Spags ended up making it work. But there are some legitimate questions. You look back at some of those plays, like Joe Burrow on a couple of his scrambles, the linebacker that was chasing him was Ben Neiman. Yep. I don't love that. I don't love Ben Neiman being out on the field as often as he is, but part of why he's out there is because they believe he knows the defense well. Same thing is the case for Dan Sorensen. Why is he out there as often as he is? Because the defense is complicated and he understands where he needs to be. 
do you need to continue with that? And do you need to continue with these big linebackers that Spags likes? Do you need to continue with the lack of investment at corner, which is a Spags thing typically because they believe he can coach him up? Do you need to continue with paying your safety this much money because Spags needs that guy to make his calls right? Do you need to continue with these run stuffers up front because that's a Spags thing? These are all Spags system ideas. And if you decide that you want to move in a different direction, a more modern defense, uh, Vic Fangio is a great one, Ron. I, I think he would be the perfect hire. Uh, Patrick Graham is a guy that is out there right now, former New York Giants defensive coordinator. I think he's really good at his job. If he becomes available, he is right now, and unless he gets hired by somebody to be their next head coach, I think he would be an excellent defensive coordinator hire as well. If you want to go out there and make one of those types of hires, I'm here for it. I actually think it could make a lot of sense because of the timing. It's not so much a a situation of, I think Spags is bad as it is. You've got to be committed to Spags for the next three years, because that's what it's going to be free agent wise. If you go that route. So defensively, that's kind of the conversation surrounding Spags and whether or not you move on. I think I would go in a different direction. If you can get one of those two guys I just mentioned, otherwise I'm signing up for for Spags for the next three years. Yeah. Yeah. To me, there's just some things like, you know, I, he, he obviously he has turned this thing around, but the inconsistency, it feels like it feels like that they're coming into it with the let's be good enough instead of not like, no, I mean, let's dominate this side of the ball, too. It feels like they're just trying to compliment huh. and be good enough. And, and 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 like to me, there's hard decisions of like in your mind. I don't, I don't give a damn. I don't know how you could look and think. Ben Neiman over Willie Gay. I, I, like I, 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 if you're going to have a linebacker on the field, I don't know how you can think that that through. That 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 doesn't make any sense to me. And and like when it, when it on the line, you're going to have Willie. You're going to have Ben Neiman and 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 Sorensen in the middle of the field. Like those are huge, huge, huge. Like he he in the in the Buffalo game with with 17 seconds to go ahead touchdown. Like how? Like, how does Dorian O'Daniel go in the game before Willie Gay? So, like that, 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 and so to me, I, I just think it's time, and he's got some some odd things rolling, and and, and there's some, and, and the the Chiefs have some pieces that are going to be coming back that I think could go to another level in a different under a different system. I think Willie Gay could go to another level under a uh, under a system like. Vic Bangio and a coach like Vic Bangio. I think he can go to a different level. Sneed as well. I think some of these guys can go to a different level. So I just think it, I think it's just time with, with Spags. So I totally agree. And I think that Spags is a good defensive coordinator. And we've seen what he's done with this team, but I don't think you want to go into every season and, you know, the NFL's fluid and you have to adjust and figure things out throughout the year. As you go, everything's constantly changing. Players get injured. You have to adjust or whatever, but we do this every year with Spags where it's literally months of adjustments and figuring things out, like starting the, the regular season, without Juan Thornhill as one of your main safeties, without Willie Gay as one of your main linebackers once he gets healthy, and having to do this over and over and over again with him leaning on these veteran players instead of the younger players who might be more versatile and and fit into that mold. Or just maybe better. And well, and so like I I look at a a guy like D'Amico Ryans and what he did for San Francisco this year. That defense, their their defensive line's great. Fred Warner is an incredible player, 
their secondary has no business being as good as it was this year. Absolutely zero business being that good. And they are that good because D'Amico Ryans is that dude defensively as a coordinator. And so, Andy, we saw this with Bob Sutton where he hung on to him for too long. And I'm not saying that you have to fire Spags. I I think that he is a good defensive coordinator. But I think that when you're unwilling to change up your coaching staff, like some of these other coaches are in the NFL, you're limiting the upside of the young cornerstone players that you have on defense, like a Willie Gay, who has shown really good athleticism, really good playmaking ability, an ability to force turnovers for you at that linebacker position. And Spags is still out here trotting him out there on 30% of the snaps. Like, what are we doing there? I want to see more Willie Gay. I want to see more innovative stuff with these young players who could be cornerstone defenders. And I don't know if Spags is that guy. I've got a great comp for you, Ron, in terms of what this would look like. It would be a, it would, if they decided to make this move, it would be very similar to the Rams moving on from Wade Phillips because Wade Phillips was an objectively good defensive coordinator. And Sean McVay said publicly, I, or this was the reports that came out. So maybe it wasn't him saying it, but I've got to, I've got to have a feeling that it's probably Sean McVay saying this to other people. I've got to find the Sean McVay for defense. Like I got to find the dude that is young and innovative and, views defense the way that I view offense and what he ended up finding was Brandon Staley and that guy was a rock star for the LA Rams and now he's the the head coach with the Chargers and then he replaced Staley last year with Raheem Morris who's out there getting head coaching opportunities this year so it has worked out really well for the Rams in moving on from Wade Phillips who was a very good defensive coordinator but the game had kind of passed him by a little bit some of the stuff that he had been doing was just it wasn't quite as effective as it was previously. And that's why I, I think I'm with you guys. Like if you can guarantee me they're going to get Patrick Graham or Vic Fangio or hell, I know he's in the news right now, so I don't know how likely it would be. But if Brian Flores was willing to come in and take that defense coordinator job, I'd be all in on any of those three hires. And maybe there's another guy that in the, in the ilk of the 49ers going out there and hiring uh, D'Amico Ryans as their defensive coordinator, maybe there's somebody that's a, a position coach right now that would be excellent in a defensive coordinator role for the, the Chiefs that I just don't know their name yet. Okay, I'm here for that as well. But you got to get it right. You can't go from spags to taking a big step back where you end up getting a Sutton type of situation again. But I, I think I would be here for it this offseason if they decided to make that move defensively. Yeah, I just I think my biggest ultimate issue with Spags is the best players on the team, I don't think they're getting their best out of. Like I don't think Chris Jones is at his best. I, I like I, I I think that's not the top level of Chris Jones. I don't think that's the top level of of Willie Gay. I don't even think Tyra Tyra Matthew has played at a top level this year. I know I know what the accolades are, but I like I I I look at that and I think now they can go in another level. And when I'm looking at that from the better from his best players, there's something up with that. And I think they got to make a move. Everything he did, shout out to him. Uh, he helped them win a championship in a major way. But I I, I think that one uh, that one needs to be done. But you, but but the one that is started to get some traction uh, that is a little bit tougher to look at is Eric Bieniemy. Uh, I've heard I've heard that get a little traction of should the Chiefs move on from Eric Bieniemy? I don't think so. Um, I, I I I don't I don't think that, that 
I mean, he shouldn't be there anyway. I mean, he should be have moved on at this point. But I don't I don't think that moving on from him to me is, is it. I I think this offense has been been really, really good, obviously, lately. And for what he does, I think he's been really good. And I think when they've had issues and mistakes, I think it, it, like in this game, I, I think there have been execution from players, and I think there have been execution from hard habits to break from certain people. And and, and Mahomes is is one of the tops at that. So to me, Eric Bieniemy being a part of this offense, I like I, I don't I don't think that that needs to be sh- shaken up the way that it, it seems like the defense does. So I know this is a bad thing to do in radio or podcasting, Ron. I don't have a strong opinion on this one. Like, I, I, I really don't. I can't pretend that I do. The reason why is because, so Eric Bieniemy. the only reason this is really a conversation is because his contract is up right now. He, he would have to be re, re-signed to be retained. And honestly, if you told me Eric Bieniemy decided that his best way to go out there and have a better role moving forward would be like, I, this job is no longer open, but in a hypothetical scenario to go to the bills and be the offensive mind that is completely in charge of their offense. Cause McDermott's in charge of their defense. It's a different setup there. Bienemy would be their new Brian Dable, right? He would be the guy that gets Josh Allen going again and continues the success that they're having offensively. And you know, it's a good situation. If Dennis that, Allen gets the saints job and they're like, all right, man, we want you to come and run. Sure. The I think that's a little worse of a situation just because the bills like that thing is up and running the saints. I, they might be getting ready to go into rebuild, but Yes, something similar to that. If you've got a situation where it's a defensive coach, maybe it's Chicago, something like that, where you've got a defensive coach in charge and they are looking for an offensive coordinator that will be fully in charge of the offense. If the enemy can go there and he believes that's going to help him get his next head coaching gig, I actually think that might make sense from the enemy's standpoint because at this point, it seems pretty unlikely to me that he's going to get a head coaching job as the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. I can disagree with that all I want. That's a separate conversation, but that seems to be what the NFL views it as. So I get it from his perspective if he wanted to potentially move on. From the Chiefs' perspective, man, you're right. They've been super successful with him as their offensive coordinator. For me, I think sometimes it is good to have transition and turnover among your coaching staff. I think things can get stale. And that is not to su- suggest that BNME is a bad coach. I think he's a damn good coach. And he clearly has the respect of his players. But he's now been in Kansas City since 2013. He's been a voice inside of that locker room with a lot of the guys that are currently there for the last five plus years now. I don't know if his voice is getting stale, if his ideas are no longer as fresh as they were when he first walked through the door. Their offense looks like it's a little bit stale right now to me. The concepts aren't as fun and interesting and innovative as they were two years ago. So would it make more sense for them to go find somebody else that can bring some of that stuff to the table? I could see the argument for it. But again, I, I think Eric Bieniemy is a really good leader. I think he should be a good head, co- or a head coach in the league right now. So I'm not going to pretend to sit here and be like, yeah, you got to move on from Eric Bieniemy because I don't believe that. So I, I could see this going either way, and I would honestly understand it either way. And that's a bad take, but that's where I honestly stand with it. So I think that Andy prefers his offensive guys to kind of rotate out because 
he wants to groom head coaches and have his coaching tree, you know, extend across the NFL the way that it has in the past. I think this circumstance where it is something that he just didn't really foresee. Like he thought Eric B is going to be my offensive coordinator for two years and he'll go get a head coaching job. Like everybody else does. Who's my offensive coordinator? Cause that's the way this thing works. And Eric B resume speaks for itself. The chiefs offense has not dropped off, whether it was Doug Peterson or Matt Nagy or, or Eric Bieniemy, they still have a top five offense in the NFL. They still are one of the absolute best scoring teams in football. And Andy Reid obviously has a huge part of that, but he wants to groom other young guys. And so I agree with BK in the fact that if you're never looking to change and you're never looking to adapt, you're limiting what you can accomplish inevitably because you should always be looking for ways you can get better. You should always be looking for ways you can adapt. And sometimes you just simply get aged out. Like sometimes it's just simply having a younger person with a different perspective and a different way of looking at things that you might not get from an Eric B enemy, but he is exceptional in, in that locker room. Like you, every, everything that you hear from him, in his press conferences, everything that you hear from the players about him, that dude, I have faith that that guy could be a good head coach because being a good head coach is just being a CEO, knowing how to manage people, putting the right people in place around you and building a leadership base and just being a CEO, managing your staff and stuff like that. Like Harbaugh in Baltimore is a perfect example of that. I think Eric Bienmi could easily be that if he was given the opportunity it's not that I want the Chiefs to move on from him. I'm at a point where I think it's best for Eric Bieniemy to move on, like you mentioned, where he can have an opportunity where there's no more questions about whether or not he is the guy who's calling the place. There's no more questions about whether or not he's calling the offense. So maybe Buffalo or, or some other offense like that, where he's legitimately going to have the reins and nobody else can say, oh, Andy Reid's calling the plays anymore. Like, I think he needs that for his career if he really wants this thing to go past ever being an offensive coordinator. Yeah, um, listen, I, 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 look, I just think the, I think his, the decisions are made for him. Uh, I, there's, I don't think he can go anywhere else and be a coordinator. That, that's, all, that's all horse. There's been some determined that, that something about him makes people uncomfortable to, to feel comfortable with bringing him in as a head coach. So that ship has sailed, whether he is uh, the, the Saints offensive coordinator, whether he is a coordinator where he is clearly running the offense. I don't think any of that matters anymore. I just look at it from this standpoint. If EB wants to bounce, all right, I support that. If he wants to, if he wants to go somewhere and say, man, I just want a, a, a new scenery, something else. Let me, let me try to grow in some way. Uh, but to me with the Chiefs, do they get better? Um, with Eric B enemy out, I don't think so. Cause I think what they would just do is bring up Matt Kafka to be the offensive coordinator. And that's the and, question that I'm super curious about though, Ron. And I, I know there's like underlying stuff right now as well. That uh, of course is going to be, there are, there are legitimate questions asked with, uh, the tone and tenor of what's taking place in the NFL, especially with the lawsuit that was just, uh, put against the league. But 
do you want to lose Kafka this offseason? I, I don't know enough about him and what he brings to that room to speak honestly about this man. I, yeah, he's the, he's interviewing at, a, at OC jobs around as, as some of these will get, get filled. Yeah, maybe you don't. I, I don't he's know. He's reportedly I, the favorite to land. I, I think it's the Giants' job, if I'm not mistaken, to, as their OC, um, or at least one of the three finalists for that gig. Yeah, I know that much finalists. to be true. Um, and if you're, if you're Andy Reed and you've got your office coordinator, whose contract is expired and you've got to you've got to determine right now, are we promoting Kafka? And that means potentially losing Eric B likely losing Eric B or do we lose Kafka, keep B and then find our next quarterback coach? I, I don't know what the better result is there. I, I really don't. And that's not, I, I know that's me riding the fence, but that's kind of where I'm at with all of this. Yeah. My thing is, I don't think they get better. Uh, with him going and I don't think that you ultimately bring like I've, I've heard this like somebody needs to bring uh, fresh uh, thoughts to Andy or or someone be able to challenge Andy like that's not happening Andy like Eric the enemy would be the person to challenge him who's been around him for a long time like I don't think that's happening I think I think Andy uh, is going to do what Andy does like you, you know, we want somebody to go out there and make him run the ball. Eric Bieniemy, if he had his druthers, would have been running the football, and it wouldn't have been no RPO as a running back coach. He would have been running the football. So I, like to me, I, I just I look at it and I say, do they get better without Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator and being in that locker room? And I don't think so. Um, and uh, so we'll see what happens. That's one. It's with his contract being up. That is that is one to watch. All right, uh, they've got some personnel decisions as um, as we'll look at as they go into the offseason. I think big names, um, a couple of big things. One, it, it, the receiver situation. I feel like they're going to probably look to address that in some form or fashion. Um, as, as towards the end of the year, they started to kind of click and come together and everybody started to fill their roles. But you you can obviously see you can get better there in some form or fashion. So you think that will be uh, something that they will look at. And then they've got those three high money guys on the defensive side of the ball. Some leaders, especially Tyron Matthew, Frank Clark, and Anthony Hitchens. Two of those to me seem like no brainers to move on from. Last especially, two Last especially, two especially, especially Tony and Frank. I mean, let's, let's go. I mean, Good God. Frank made some plays, stopping the run a bit. But, I mean, you, I mean, come on, man. He's just not getting a stitch of pressure uh, at all. Um, and, uh, he had so, a really bad game in this one. No, he did. It was a, it was a hell of a finish. Uh, like I said, a couple of good run stuffs, but that's it. Um, so, I, I, think, I think those, to me, look to be the spots that they're going to look at because they got, they got to pay Orlando Brown. That, that, that they've got to use that in some form or fashion. And they got to figure out what they want to do with Tyron Matthew. I think the receiver position is interesting uh, because I think that is a spot clearly where they, they can, they can at least take a step forward. We've heard Juju Smith Schuster, who is wanting to be here. I don't know if no. he's the answer. Get Juju out of here. Michael Gallup, please. Michael Gallup. He's I know he tore his ACL, ACL late season. That means you can get him on a discount. Yeah, I think there are several options. Michael Gallup could be one. Uh, I'm wondering who leaves. I'm wondering which of the the receivers that that may leave. Uh, all of them. Uh, yeah, all of I them. I mean, 
D Rob and Byron are out. There there could be a circumstance last year, like last year, where they late free agency period brought Demarcus Robinson back on a really cheap one year contract. Maybe they do that for Pringle. I don't think D Rob is is going to be on this roster next year. Yeah, I don't think Robinson. I could still I could still see Pringle being a part. Like uh, uh, I think somebody's going to pay him to be their number two or three. I think somebody's oh, going to buy into what we saw this year that he's maybe. got more in there than what we what the Chiefs were able to get from him, and I, I think he'll go elsewhere. I think it's time for a reset at that position. I, I think you you have determined now. I, I heard it was you mentioned him earlier, sir, to Nate Tice, who works for the Athletic, and he his dad is Mike Tice, the former Vikings coach. Uh, he said it on one of his uh, streams this week that he views McCole Hardman as a number four wide receiver. I, I kind of do too. Um, I think you need to figure out what you're doing at your number two and number three wide receiver positions this offseason. That might mean a top 100 pick and a free agent. Like, I would love to see – I love Michael Gallup. I think he's excellent. I think he would be a great addition for this team. Um, a guy like Allen Robinson, I, I don't know what he's going to cost this offseason. He didn't have a great season. Um, Odell Beckham makes a ton of sense for them. If they end up going first round receiver, a guy like Cedric Wilson, who was on the Cowboys this year is perfectly fine. Like there's a bunch of options to your point, Ron, but they've got to refresh that position. That should be one of the top priorities this off season, because I think that's a big part of why they failed. Obviously most of it, Patrick Mahomes. Also, they didn't have the pass catchers when they needed them to be able to step up. Yeah, I just think they can they can improve to get better there, and uh, and and I guess maybe also be able to put them and use Hardman in a a position in a situation that that's more liking to what he can than what he can do. Because down the end of the stretch, you started to see um, him come through, and he was making a big play every uh, every game or every game down the stretch. Some sort of a big time play he was making. Another couple uh, of big ones in this one. It happened yeah. earlier on, so we forget about it. But McColl had a really good first half in that game. Well, he w- he was smoking hot about something, though. I mean, he Ooh, thought yeah. he was he was coming open on on something. And I to look at the confusion that we were seeing from Patrick Mahomes all through. I that I, I almost tend to believe McColl <laughs> that he was rolling open sometimes. Yeah, you can go. Ah, he, he might have been. McColl doesn't get to be that. Time. I've never I've never seen Patrick Mahomes miss. Travis Kelsey wide open through three windows uh, on a play. And he sure as hell did Uh, three different windows. He was wide open, but then it's the big three on defense. And Tyra Matthew is the one that is the decision. Cause you're right, sir. Frank, see you. You can tell me all this Kansas city is home. Well, you better, you better retire and live here or go to some (laughs) other home because you ain't going to be dressing up. And then, and that and saves Tony, you thirteen million, by the way, if you yeah, cut him. And, and then Tony Hitchens, also another big, big salary that could be off the books. That's eight he, and a half million, and he's another savings. one. Yeah, he's another one, and, and we're talking about receivers or whatever. Those that you know that can help with that. But Tyra Matthew is a thought because he's the heart and soul of this defense, and I think the voice of this team even more than Pat, which is God. You know, man. It, I, you just think to yourself, if he walked over there and just had a small conversation with Pat, you know, somewhere in that second half. He was freaking out, too. He, he, he was, was apparently losing his mind on the sideline. So That's what I was going to say. He was freaking out on the game. I, I, I heard Kling talking about he just continued to have conversations with, with officials during, during commercial breaks throughout the game. Um, but I, I honestly think, hey, 
who's going to be the new defensive coordinator potentially if that happens and really figure out what you're going to do because I, I, there's there's a lot of value in him but but damn watching him this year you can really see he could get old quick like you could really yes. you, you could see that you can see that coming to where man in a year he's, he's headed not- into his age 30 season and he's a player who's had injury problems in his past. Thankfully, he hasn't had a lot of them here in Kansas City, but he had them the early part of his career and heading into an age 30 season. I think you got a question whether or not you should pay that dude. Can I say the quiet part out loud too? Yeah. Tyron runs real hot, man. And that's cool. And it's fun. And it's exciting. And it's engaging. And it's honestly part of what made them a Super Bowl championship defense for a year and he was a big part of the culture change defensively I don't know how you could watch that defense especially in that game on Sunday and really in a large part portion of this season and say to yourself oh yeah they've got a great leader that's firing them up defensively like the culture on that side of the ball didn't seem all that great at times this year and if I'm gonna pay the dude whatever 18 plus million dollars per year and a large portion of that is because of what he's doing for me culturally i'm not willing to do that like i like tyron matthew i think he's a really good player i would love to have him back but the business of football does get in the way sometimes and i think this is a pretty good time for a clean break for both sides and i think he's going to go be successful next year and there will be moments where you're as a chiefs fan say to yourself man i wish we had tyron matthew that would be really nice but you get three years into that contract when he's still got guaranteed money left you might be saying to yourself eh, it's probably for the best that they decided to let him walk yeah and i think they got something and you never know who the coordinator is i think i think sneed could be a really funky guy that could do a whole bunch of jack of all trades stuff like that that uh, you think if he were in a position that that he was playing and you you actually put forth some thought in your cornerback situation and actually put resources towards that like you could see you could see Sneed taking over and being a real weapon there I just like I was sitting there thinking like what do the Chiefs need and I was thinking to myself defensively Damn it! They need somebody, a veteran, somebody that can challenge Chris Jones to play at a certain level all the time. Frank's not doing it. They didn't have any, and you would think Tyra Matthew would be it, but no, he wasn't doing it either. Like they need somebody to challenge Miller. him. Yeah, something like that. And Tyron's not. I don't know. It just it, it wasn't showing. Like it wasn't a response to it. To get the, to get the best of it, and and I just feel like with his age, and there's some stuff you can do there. Like to me, if you if you went and invested in a corner, like a, you know somebody you really feel good about. Can I give you some names real quick, Ron? Because I looked at the free agent market last night. I, I got kind of excited about what the the off season could look like. Here are some of the big time free agents that are going to be available this off season: Von Miller. Chandler Jones, Jason Pierre-Paul, Randy Gregory, Melvin Ingram, who I I think should be back, Everson Griffin, Stephon Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, who was a stud this year for the Patriots, Levi Wallace, Chris Harris, Casey Hayward, Marcus Williams, who's an outstanding safety, and if the Saints are willing to let him walk, 
that's the guy you call to replace Matthew. And then Jesse Bates, who I don't think the Bengals would be willing to walk. But if he does, he's another guy that I would love to see here in Kansas City. He is super smart. And if you're worried about losing Matthew on the back end for the calls, Jesse Bates can replace a lot of that. Not a great tackler. Again, perfect replacement for Tyron Matthew. And I I think Bates or Marcus Williams are both great replacements. And I totally agree with you about Legereus Sneed. Like with the right defensive coordinator, the way he could be utilized because he's such an incredible tackler – like you could utilize Legarius field Legarius seed all over the field. He yeah. he's, he's that good of a player. He, he can cover. He can blitz. He can tackle. He could be a real weapon for somebody. Uh, it, like you said, if you had better you know corners where you felt comfortable with it, you could do a ton of things like that. I mean, he looks like he could be you know almost a better version of Tyra Matthew if he was playing safety. Uh, so, so there's, there's something there. I, I, I honestly am at this point. I didn't think I was going to be at this at the beginning of the year because I thought the leadership quality, that thing that you can't quantify was something that was bigger, uh, with Matthew, but I, I, I it didn't come to fruition right now. Like it didn't like it, didn't, like, I don't like when you think to yourself, what was the catalyst to the chiefs defense? I, like, I don't think it was Tyron Matthew just finally saying enough is enough. I think it was Melvin Ingram. <laughs> coming over and, and Nick Bolton and, and, and the rookies, Nick Bolton and Willie Gay and their speed, not Matthew. And I think he'll be missed. And I think it's time to, but I think you could replace some guys that leaders. And I think Ingram can be a leader over there. And I think those linebackers can be a leader. You just got to get more speed. And they need a real veteran that can really challenge these guys. And I think you listed some of those. I think Von Miller's the guy. Like if you if you could go get somebody defensively to to be a leader on the defensive line, I think it's I, I think next year if you go into the season with Von Miller and Melvin Ingram as your your defensive ends, I think you're in a really good spot. And Von's not going to come on the super cheap, but he's not going to get another twenty million dollar per year contract. You're not going to be talking about that. He's at the back end of his career now. And then on the back end, I think you try to get one big significant free agent. And I know if you're a Chiefs fan, you're probably thinking to yourself, how are they going to have all this money? They got money to play with this year. If they want to, they can add, they can get up to like 70, 75 million dollars in cap space. You could potentially extend Tyree Kill. That that creates even a little bit more. You can restructure Jones, Mahomes, and Tooney. Like they they've got ways to make this stuff work. This is yeah. very similar to the offseason where they did go big on a couple of their other big guys, including Clark and uh Matthew. So this is this is a huge offseason for them with a lot of big time decisions. It reminds me, I mentioned it earlier, a lot of the 2007 Patriots where they completely remade their offense that offseason. That was when they traded for Randy Moss and Wes Welker and they brought in Dante Stallworth and we all know what ended up happening afterwards. I think the Chiefs could have a similar type of completely remade offense. This is the start of the next era for Patrick Mahomes. This was the first four-year window. You're about to see the next one begin starting in 2022. There's a lot of fun stuff ahead. All right, guys. It was a uh, it was a fun season, and I know for many Chiefs fans, very disappointing. Meaning, all Chiefs fans, very disappointing in- ending. Uh, and still, one people are. I've I've, I've literally saw people tweeting. Uh, I can't believe we lost this game. Like hell, I think one of the players, one of the players, I saw tweet that today. <laughs> Your guy Gore. Yeah, yeah Terrence Gore. Gore. Yeah, Ter- Ter- Terrence Gore's little brother tweeted that today. I was sitting there, I was like, damn, man, that just hit you. He's still like, a shot. Like, where was he? He's been in a dark room somewhere. But <laughs> uh, but no, man, we'll, we'll be back soon, though. We're uh, um, 
we'll uh, we're gonna take a little little time off. Super Bowl coming up, a couple of weeks. We'll take a little time off off the uh, Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, but um, we'll be getting you set and getting going when the draft comes up. We'll be talking about free agency. We'll talk about the draft, all those big things where the Chiefs can improve their team after we just talked about it. So stay tuned for showing BK on the Chiefs uh, coming up. Another uh, another good well, another good first year first year that we've done this podcast together and. Um, We'll see what they do what they do next year. So uh keep listening or I'll kill you. Didn't you say that? No, I didn't I didn't mean that. Yeah, we are out. That's right. <laughs>